Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Welcome, welcome friends to continuing season two of Secrets of a Dance Hit and an absolute doozy of a guest. I hopped on the train back in December 2019 before the COVID, you know what, and uh, yeah, travelled to central London and met this guest in a pub right next to his studio. We had a quick catch up and then hopped down into his studio to have a conversation about a fantastic house record. Uh, This week's guest is none other than Rua Da Silva and he gives the full lowdown on his amazing track Touch Me. Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Mr. Ruiz de Silva, how you doing, sir? I'm very good, thank you for having me. Touch Me, what an absolutely huge record. Uh, number one in the UK, number one in Ireland, and huge across Europe. What an absolutely amazing record. Where do we start? It was it was number one in a, in a, in a few in a few countries, yeah. Portugal, I think, as well, and Greece, yes. and Australia. Yeah, I lost count. Yes, yeah, still, it's still here, and it's still kind of aged quite well, actually. I think. I want to rewind to the start. Well, it started. I wanted to really uh, deep down. I probably uh, yeah. It, it was like had like a little garage band with a few friends in the little town I lived just outside Lisbon in Portugal and then eventually I was kind of like wanted to I was really keen on carry on with, with that and they weren't we weren't rehearsing for as often as I wanted and then I ended up enrolling in a course about audio because I was always interested in kind of sound and audio engineering and from there I discovered that I actually could make the music without musicians because technology was starting to arrive that you could buy a sampler and the sampler could become any musician that yeah. that was missing in a, in a, in your in your band and via computer you could actually sequence all the parts and it was like I was really into it, craft work at the time and I was like wow I could do this yeah and um start reading some english magazines and trying to figure out what people used and to make these records and and t- took some names of some drum machines like a 909, we need a 909 and a 208 and, and a 303 and okay so I went on local newspaper because at the time we were like okay you get these machines because the people are going for the digital ones and these ones are like going cheap so you can afford them so I went and bought them because I could afford them wow, yeah, the digital were, ones were expensive yeah so like, okay they were cheap at the time, yeah. Yeah, they were so really expensive cheap. now. <laughs> I mean, I bought the eight to wait for like twenty pounds. Like, no, yeah. come on. And the nine oh nine, I bought maybe for like hundred and twenty pounds. Wow, wow. And um, yeah, and then so I, I had like a drum machine. I started with the, with the nine oh nine actually. And so I had the nine oh nine, and I had a synth. A friend of mine had lent me a synth, like a I think it was a sequential circuits pro one. So I could just like do some drum beats and. And a bass line or a lead line. Yeah. And that was it. Then record onto cassette because you couldn't really have, didn't add anything else. So, and then I was like, okay, if I get this sampler thing, which will take me like three months. So I was, at the time, I was already working as a sound engineer on a radio station. So, if I, if I save money for like three months, I'll be able to buy this sampler. So, I had to figure out who was representing. It was like the one to buy was, the cheap one to buy was like an AKS 950. Mm-hmm. And discovered there was a guy representing the brand somewhere just outside Lisbon, and um, so I got my cash, went on a bus, and went there to his to his um, shop, and and said, oh, if you sell these things, Akai things, yeah, yeah, they're over there, okay, so, and he brought, like, Akai sampler, and, and, and a load of 
floppy disks. And like, okay, these are the sounds and this is the sound. I said, no, no, no. Have you got a CD player? And he was like, what do you need a CD player for? I said, just get me a CD player. And he brought a CD player and I had like a couple of CDs and I stopped sticking CDs and putting it into the sampler and then I was in like yeah, yeah. and I was making beats. And he was, he had like a class, it's a funny story because he had like a class of people because he's teaching um, uh, music theory and singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next minute, the, 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 and it was like an ad adjacent room and everybody in the class was like looking towards me like if I was some sort of like lunatic playing some like sampled things on, 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 on a keyboard <laughs> and like trying to make some, some rhythms with it and stuff. And they were like, like this guy's a freak. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, this is what I want. So I gave him the cash and just took the sample. And that was that? Yeah. And so then all of a sudden I could do some music because I, I, the sampler could do anything. Could do could be a drum loop or could be like a lead part or it could be a bass. Or if, yeah. I, if I was kind of careful with the memory, because that was, I, I could only afford yeah. the basic system. So with no memory, well, very little memory, maybe like, I don't know, maybe five or eight seconds of sampler, maybe even less, wow, I don't know. Wow, wow. And um, so if you want more, more sample time, you'd lower the quality, so the quality would go worse. And then that was it. So, okay, I can make a record with five sounds because, I, well, I can use the drum machine at like, I don't know, six, maybe about eight sounds or nine mm. sounds on the drum mm. machine. And then the synth, I had to go to get back to the guy because the guy wanted the synth back. So then I had the sampler and the drum machine. I was like, no. I need something else to get my sounds. So I ended up buying an 8-track tape machine from Tascam. Yeah. I use a cassette. Classic, and, yeah, absolutely and, classic. And then, and then I needed something to, to kind of like run the whole thing. Mm. And I couldn't afford an Atari, so I got Commodore Amiga. And I was running some software there. Like a pro tracker kind yeah, of so thing? Yeah, so I could put yeah, some, yeah, yeah. some things in, 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 into some of the tracks and then make more sounds yeah. and put it back in yeah. there. And it was very kind of like rudimentary and and you would work on one song for for ages and then that song was finished and you move on to the next song yeah yeah and yeah that that's kind of like the very early start point and then if i if i was like oh i want more sounds in my records i need to go and buy another synth so i need to wait another few months to buy another synth so i could put have pads now on my tracks yeah and that's kind of how it started and a lot of the i think it was not a unique case i think probably around the world a lot of people were going through the same oh, hurdles that i was going no through. doubt no doubt and um once i had some tracks i was like okay now apparently you, you just go to I, I was fortunate to to understand the process of making records because i was taking a, a sun engineering course funded at the time by the European Union money because Portugal has just joined the European Union and they were kind yeah. of like training people in Portugal to, to find careers and I was lucky to, to get in one of those courses. So I knew kind of like how to do um, brief experience in a, a recording studio and I knew I'd, that I'd visited a pressing plant and there was still a pressing plant in Lisbon or just outside Lisbon and um, there was a cutting room right in the center of the town. So I ended up going there cutting, cutting my first record and then going and pressing it in um, in, a, in a pressing plant just outside Lisbon. Wow. And then, okay, so now I've loads of records and I need to figure out what I'm going to do with them. So I figure out where there's a record shop and took some records, went there, walked in there, they were like, this was made in Portugal because all they were used to was just buying imports from right, right, right. US and So it's kind of UK. odd for you to go in as a Portuguese guy. Yeah, then nobody has ever records. done. Wow. So, so I'd like, I walked in with one record, like, dude, do you want to buy some records? I got some records here. And they were like, whoa, you made this at home? He said, yeah. Oh, wow, we need to speak with you. It was all DJs because I wasn't a cool. DJ. And that's how it started linking up with, with, with the, the, the scene in Portugal mm. of DJs. And they were like, oh, this dude can make some beats. And I said, okay. And what sort of year was that? What would you say? We're you talking were... about probably 90 or 91. 
something wow, like that. Yeah. Wow, quite early on. Yeah, and um, and then, yeah, I started, and then I had a little recording studio with my eight tracks, so I, and bands needed to record, so I was getting getting people to come over to to um, to my bedroom in my parents, and I was like, was my recording studio, and I was getting hired to, to run some sessions. And I was I did a couple of um, really popular popular indie bands in Portugal. Oh wow! And end up um, um, getting hired to um, to do the very first hip hop record in Portugal as well. So they kind of like booked me to go into work into like a big studio like from right. EMI in Portugal and all. It was really interesting. So there was big records happening. Yeah, before yeah. what what I've come to talk to you today about. Yeah, there but was it was, stuff it was a local, yeah, it was a local scene, and then and then. And then I kind of link up with what was at the time the biggest DJ in Portugal was DJ Vibe, and we uh, he was coming off of being part of a band that was very kind of reminiscent of Happy Mondays. It was certain okay. extent, and he was kind of like looking for something new. And I was making beats, and he wanted to do something. New and he also had another sampler, so I was like, okay, let's put two samplers. We got lots of sounds, and um, we had started a, a project called Underground Sound of Lisbon. We started the record label at the same time with with uh, another third person that was kind of putting some parties together, and we did the so get up and dance with me. Send the record to Junior Vasquez in. Uh, actually, we sent a white label to a friend of ours in New York. He used to go to the Sound Factory. Junior heard the record and was like, "Wow, this is yeah." Yeah, so get up was like, just played it. I think five or six times that night. People just going mental, and then. The guy never went back there, so my, our friend. So and Junior kept playing that record, so he made like an yeah, 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 of, yeah, yeah. of um, Sound Factory, and um, and then eventually, when we had a few more copies, we sent him another copy, and he went back to Sound Factory with another copy. And as he was going to Junior to give him another copy, because the record was just white, there had nothing written. Yeah, 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 yeah. He got mobbed by. The guy, the A&R from Eight Ball, A&R from Tribal Records. Right, so everyone like, wanted to know who this, this guy was. Well, yeah, what's this, this record? record? has been yeah, playing yeah. for like months yeah, at yeah. Sound Factory. Nobody knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. So you got, there was a, on that, the, that second batch, we had put a, a fax number. Then we get a fax, which was actually on my birthday, from this dude called Rob Stefano, which is now probably one of my closest friends. And he was like, oh, um, I'm really interested in signing this record to release yeah. it in the US. And I said, yeah. wow, wow, this is it's amazing. And um, it was like, but and we had made like a little sticker with this, the map of uh, Lisbon only. And it was like, I'm looking at this, it's called Lisbon, where the hell is that in the world? Because I got no clue. <laughs> and I was trying to explain to him, well, this is like in Europe, there's like yeah, Spain, yeah. and you got Portugal, yeah. and that's Lisbon is there. And now Lisbon is like the hottest place yeah, yeah, of on course, the planet. Yeah, of course, yeah. It's really funny, because this is like 20, I don't know. Yeah, but he, was, years, he had right? no clue, right? Yeah, he didn't have no clue. And then he, he eventually, so we ended up kind of making a deal, signing the deal, like I had to kind of like get my chops up and this thing about recording contracts, and because from all of us, I was the only one who could really understand English to the level that I could be talking and negotiating right. something. Right. So end up signing the deal, and then um, and by the, by then we already had sold quite a few records on our on our label called Chaos Records, and so we were signing to Tribal America, which was the home from for Junior Vasquez, Danny Tanaglia, yeah, huge, Merck, huge, uh, Deep Dish. I mean, everyone was there, and then then from there he was they were touring Europe at the time, and we were doing parties in, in Portugal. So they were like, oh, we've got this, um, we undecided if we're going to go to finish our 
tour in, I think it was in Italy. Are we going coming to Portugal? I said, yeah, you come to Portugal, I'll get you a castle and we're doing a rave in a castle and you come yeah. and you're going to have yeah. great fun. Oh, wow. I said, yeah, I've got this DJ called Danny Tanaglia and I said, okay, <laughs> just bring him over then. Because he, he, at the time, Danny was just like another DJ. In the room, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And really built Which is name. nuts, right? Yeah. Think of today. And then, right? and then, and then so, so they landed, I picked them up, <laughs> and I was driving them around, and took their plate, Danny played Kremlin, and we were like, wow, this guy's amazing. Yeah. And we were like, then we went to, to the castle up in the north of Portugal, and did a party there, and it was really cool, really amazing. And then Rob was like, okay, so for the release, because you guys already put the record out, I'm thinking doing a double pack. And um, should we do on the remix? And it's like, we're like, Junior Vasquez. I mean, he's been playing the record. He's yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Go to. And he was like, oh, he's going to be expensive. I said, I don't care. We want Junior. I said, okay, yeah. I'll get Junior. How about this guy? I said, who? Danny. I said, uh, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> he, he will do it like cheap. I said, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> he did it really, really cheap. It's like no, $500. I said, no. okay, then. so we let him do it. Wow. And, um, and so he did a remix and he said, but you guys didn't need to do a remix for him. And we did one for Bottom Heavy. And um, yeah, and that's how it kind of started our wow. relationship with Danny. And and um, and then, be, and it's, yeah, it's, that's like the beginning. And then when they released the record, Tribal used to sell like, it was a good label and selling like five, six, seven thousand records. And when got, So Get Up got out, they started selling 40,000. Wow. And then from there, wow. the label just wow. went on to a next level. Yeah, yeah, you know? no doubt. And the record got like, it's at the moment, the actual record holds... The acapella holds the the record on the Guinness Book of Records of the most sampled acapella of all time. Really? This is like wow, insane. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> but, and it's interesting because you talk of those numbers, like yeah. 40,000. Yeah. That's a UK number one yeah. now, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's nuts numbers, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it? and in compilations went like, I, I lost count. I really lost count. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm sure the record ended up selling way much more because then it got released on Travel UK and then got remixes and it got yeah, yeah, it just packages like, and yeah, packages yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's, remixes. It's, and it's still and the record still holds. It's crazy because the record still holds current. I mean, not not a few years ago, I was playing um, like a really cool trendy club. It probably was ten years ago. I was playing a really cool underground trendy club um, in East London. We used to be called Public Life, which was in the toilet just uh, off Shoreditch. Yeah. And um, and um, Dayed, which is, is now part of Apollonia, was playing as well. And I was and I played so get up, and he was like writing the name down. Oh. And I was like, dude, <laughs> this is like an old record. Huh? You don't understand because he was like, he did not know the record. And I was like, do you know that this record is like, wow. like when is it coming out? I said this was like out like about twenty years ago. <laughs> How does that feel to you? How do you feel about that? I like it. I mean, I'm 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 uh, pleased that uh, a lot of the the, the work, the, the music I've done, has managed to kind of hold on to the um, to age properly. Yeah, you know, it's aged really yeah, well. If yeah. someone's like, when's it's, this out? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, 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 and I'm chuffed that it's not it's just one. I had, quite, I had quite a few. I mean, some of them have aged badly, but a lot of the records I've done have aged really well, and and yeah. that that I'm kind of like I'm pleased with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. So fast forward. Yeah, so then from that record, we start getting a lot of um, attention in Portugal. We end up um, selling off of our record label to a distributor to kind of have access to other, other markets and other things. And then fast forward a few years, I'm kind of like thinking in moving to the UK. I move to the UK, sell my, my um, partnership in the label in Portugal. I come to London and um, start um, a new record label. Okay, and that was uh, Kismet, right? Kismet Records. And um, so I start making tunes. I, I bring all my equipment. I've got, I'm like living in a tiny 
one bedroom down mm. in Pimlico yeah. with my studio in there. There's like loads of machines in the same front room where there's a kitchen. Yeah, and there, wow. There's another, and then we have some mates living in a sofa. We're sleeping in the in, in the bedroom next to us, recording vocals in the toilet. It's just like it was just mental. And then finally, I get the money from the sale of my shares on the label, and I'm like, okay, trying to find a place where I can actually work. And I found this this room. In, in Farrington at a place called the Roundhouse Studios yeah. which has nothing to do with the Roundhouse yeah. up in, in um, Chalk Farm and um, took a room there like okay I've got enough money for like three months so I just rent the room for three months and make some tunes then there's, it's similar to where this place is so lots of rooms yeah there's, it's in, in, interesting to look back now because the people that were there were like Tim Deluxe um, Ben Onono Eric Prids. Wow. Uh, I mean, at the time, it's like, but we were all really young starting. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was a and good time. And we all were doing like records and everybody's yeah, like having, yeah. s- smashing it and it's like, wow. And then I was putting records out and I was like thinking, yeah, this, this is cool. I like the, t- I like the tunes and, I, and, and uh, it's the time that uh, there's two new clubs opening in London, Home and uh, Fabric. Yeah. And we started going to these clubs and I was listening to and I was hanging out at um, home members club at the top and talking to Red Jerry from Hooch Tunes yeah he had just signed a record of mine he was like dude you need to to do some tunes with vocals because that will be like the next you should really put a vocal and I was like I don't really know any singers I just arrived in London for like a few months I've got no clue about singers yeah 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 and um, so I was thinking well I'm going to find a singer and then I was listening to I was in a booth at home one night and um, at the club home and Oakenfold was playing and I was like, oh, I've got this idea to do like a record for him with a singer, but I've got no singer. And then I was walking home another night, walking past um, Piccadilly Circus and there was like this commotion going with some music playing and I go and check what it is. And it's like a little band with a girl singing and I was like, my hairs in the back of my neck were like yeah. up and I was like, whoa, yeah, I like this. And I was with a friend, I was like, I really need to, pick up this girl's number so to get into the studio because that's a singer that's what I need right and um, and I don't want her to think like I'm like hitting on her or something just, can you help me like explain that I'm a producer and it's like yeah sure so we got her number and then she came down a few days later am I right to say that's Cassandra yeah that was Cassandra yeah wow so she came down a few days later and she came in and I didn't really like her vibe so I kind of like oh, nah, I can't work with her and my friend was like <laughs> dude just see past all the this yeah, beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just do a session. I said, okay. So I called her again. I said, come to the studio. So she came to the studio. And um, yeah, that's when we worked and we did touch me really back there. And then she she kind of came up with a, with a top line, not the final lyrics, and um, recorded like an idea. I started making the, the music. And then she came back the next day. She wrote the lyrics at home, came back and delivered the vocal. And that was the tune. And to put it onto cassette because at the time, that's what you had to take home to listen because that I only, yeah, yeah, I only yeah. had that yeah. digital audio in a studio I didn't have one at home so if I wanted to listen at home I put on a cassette put on a cassette take it home play the record it was like wow I like this and just rewind and listen again it was like I like this and rewind and listen again it was wow. like, so it was like listening and listening and listening and listening and like trying to figure out make sense of how to arrange it into a song because mm. it was like kind of a vibe and it took me like several months to, to figure out how to move maybe eight bars inside the the, 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 the song so can I ask I mean mm. did you have like a working kind of instrumental before Cassandra came in no no no, no, no. everything very was very organic no. at yeah, the time every, you guys were just ripping capturing, off each yeah, other yeah, yeah, yeah. because the most definitive part of that record for me mm. is 
that chord hit right at the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you can just loop that, of yeah. which is kind of like the first two bars of that record, yeah. and everybody will go, "It's touched me." Yeah, yeah. But that, Before I mean, that's, even yeah, Cassandra that, that, spoke that, that, that or hit, you know? that, that's come. That's that's like the roots of what I was already doing with Underground Sound of Lisbon. Okay, but there kind of is refined into into a much more mature yeah, sound yeah, yeah. and more, more more developed sound as I was. I, I guess growing up as a producer, but um, no, everything was done in the studio at the same time, and I've always praised that as very valuable because you feed from the energy of everybody that is in the room. Mm. And um, from my experience of, of working remotely, I never can grab that moment of having yeah. two people in a in a room. Having her there, yeah, yeah, just riffing yes, yeah, off her yeah, vocal yeah. side. So. Yeah, because her, her reaction to what I'm doing. Uh, makes me react, and then what is she starting to sing, and 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 ideas that are coming out is making me also go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that energy is crucial to 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 create something special. I I personally think that. And then yeah, we 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 we've done, did the record, and then kind of set on it. Then I would like maybe four or five releases for the label, and I was like, okay, now I need to figure out how to start releasing these records. So I went through my contacts that I had from the previous label I was working with. So I'd, I knew a few people in the industry, so I'd getting some meetings with the distributors, finally found a distributor in the UK. And I, said, and I sat down in a meeting, I said, okay, so what if you have? Because they weren't really signing people, it would just be one record. I said, well, okay, so I've got a plan, I've done this, and now I've got a plan, I've got these yeah. five records. Yeah. And um, this is the first one, this is the second one, this is the third one, and Touch Me was the fourth one. And oh, okay, okay. And uh, they were like, okay, let's do it. So we start releasing the records. So the first one was an uh, Underground Sound of Lisbon, which is called The Lights. And then the second one was um, Coco the Silver, which is a project I do with Chris Coco. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, that was the second one called Coisanasa. And then the third one was lost. And then, yeah, and then the fourth release was Touch Me, which we sent a couple of copies to Ibiza. Actually, I sent one copy to Oakenfold because I was like, okay, I've done this record thinking of him. So I'll send it to him. Yeah. And um, he heard the record. He had a residency at Pasha at the time. And he heard the record. And according to what they tell, what people tell me, on that night, he like played like the record like five times. Wow, wow, wow. And people just going nuts. And uh, by the end of the summer... Everybody's was coming back from Ibiza asking for that record. Yeah, and like I was going to say radio for, everywhere was like everybody's me, going nuts. For me personally, that you know, I said to you earlier before we started the interview, you know, that Kismet release, I picked that up huge across Ibiza that yeah. summer, and um, just continued to carry legs. But yeah. I'm very interested to know, like, so the first few records they were yeah. kind of building up Kismet. The yeah, releases were yeah, doing yeah. well. There was, there was like a plan. There was a plan of having released. Yeah. The, the, the way that the records get released because they, they have a, they've got an, a, an order that yeah, they, should, yeah, sure. they, should, they should be released. Sure. And um, so the first one was on the grandson of Lisbon because it was kind of what could bring attention to the label. And then Cook the Silver was a really cool record. Yeah. And then Lost, which was another... Uh, now, actually, the third release... Was, Lost was a fifth. The third release was a release of mine called um, Earth. Four elements and then earth on one side. Yeah, I remember that. And actually, water yeah. on the other side. Yeah, that is like that record is like a, mo a monster record, and it still is. I mean, I remember sitting with with a, like one of the longest residents at Amnesia, and he was telling me that he's been resident there for like I don't know twenty years, mm. 
and he's never seen a bigger reaction to a record right, than, than right. that record played yeah. on the terrace. Yeah, just like it's just a monstrous yeah, huge, record. Huge record. You know? So there was that, yeah. followed then by Touch Me. Yeah. Wow. And, that, and that's what really, because that set up. So you kind of teed it up in a way. Yeah, yeah. Would you say set, with set underground up. DJs, yeah. they kind of got a real feel for the label, a real feel for yeah, the Yeah, but Touch Me was an underground record at the time, too. It's just well, became completely, completely. Because, I mean, it was getting, play, it was getting played at Fabric. Yeah. Like every single night was getting played at Fabric wow. by, by the DJs that were going there from Carl Cox to Sasha to uh, the people who were playing at the time. I mean, I, I there was um, James Lavelle, which ended yeah, up James doing a cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, did right, end up okay, doing a cover wow. for that record. Um, I think, I don't know if there was a few other DJs at the time that were playing at, at the venue. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it was getting played across the board. Everyone was playing it. But would you say the beginning of it all was when you gave that copy to Oakenfold and he played it? Yes. Asher? Was that kind of the beginning yeah, but, but of... I think the, be the beginning of the... I think for me the beginning of the magic of that record was when I went home that night after recording it. Yeah. And I played it on my cassette player and, and I was living in Pimlico. And I kept listening to it back and forward, back and forward, back and forward, like obsessed with it. And that's kind of been the, almost like the spell that the record exercises on anybody that has never been exposed to the record before. Yeah. And the first time they hear it, the first reaction they have is like, can you play it again? Yeah. So and it had that with you as the yeah, producer. Yeah. Yeah, all of and us. And then it kind of recreated it. everyone. But I right, didn't expect right. to, to, to go as far as it went, of course. Yeah, yeah. See, that was and, one and, of my and, questions was when you when you made it, and yeah. obviously you're given a feel for it when you're listening to it. Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed with the record, but I was like, because I wanted to listen to it again yeah. and again and again and again, but I was like, didn't think that... You were never be, aware of yeah, what it could yeah, be. Yeah, that, that, that would reflect on everyone else. Wow. I, knew, I, I knew that if okay, you would play it, the people would love it, but because it was like a cool record. But yeah, it might be an underground yeah. hit. But, but it's crazy because then you, 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 if you fast forward many years afterwards, and like from 2001, which is when I released it, and you arrive at 2000 and, mm, 2009, yeah. 2010, and I'm living in Ibiza and I'm at a friend's house, and uh, we are playing records, and it's like early morning, and everybody's a little bit kind of twisted from the night. <laughs> bit wonky. And there's, and there's like um, a chick there, and she's probably about 19. Yeah. And people are talking about my record, and she does not know about the record. Right. And my friend, uh, the host of the house, understands that she does not know about the record. So he plays the record without telling nothing to her, and she just goes mental with the yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're talking about someone who's never heard the record, yeah. does not know... But she's what we're talking about, totally and as soon as they heard it, it was like, "Can I play again?" Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the same. And I mean, I had friends back at the back in back then in in New York because then we around that year we went to New York for for a little tour and friends like going into parties and just like listening to the record over and over, just off their nuts yeah, 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 listening yeah, yeah, to the record yeah. over and yeah. over and over on their own in in a room with a turntable. Yeah. It's just like it's just so many. I've got so many countless stories of people which, doing which that, which is so which awesome, is, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's something about music which which um, detaches it from every other single art form. Because if you think about um, a visual art form, it exists like a painting exists there. It's always there. You look at it, it's there. 
music doesn't really exist because yeah. you listen to it, but then it disappears. But where is it? You can't really touch it. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can look at, at something written in a, in a score, but you have to imagine how it sounds, but you, each person can imagine slightly different. So, And it exists when you play off the speakers, but then it disappears because it's in the air. So, And I think maybe there is some sort of special frequencies, I don't know, that really triggers something inside you, you know? It's been a huge record during the summer. Yeah. Everything's blowing up. It gets to... Now, for me, I remember rightly, I think it was January... It was like the first number one record of that 2001. Year. 2001, yeah. right? Which is like technically the first record of the 21st century, really. Yeah. Because yeah. the first hey, record cool of the 21st century. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. So it's built up all over summer. Um, yeah. The thing that I always noticed was it seemed to stick on your independent label as Kismet. Yeah. Um, and it was blowing up on Kismet. So yeah. um, part, of, part of me wants to ask you is like, how the heck? did that cross to be such a whopper with a record that seemed to just sit on a, on an independent label, which was your label? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I kind of, like, I kept getting kind of, like, pushed into a corner to the point that I had no other option to actually sign um, some of the rights to to a major to enable it to, to go on the radio because at the time, record, for records to really break into the mainstream, there was really one avenue, which was radio plays. So at that and stage, have you got majors contacting you? Yeah, saying, everyone. They, everyone was like calling me. Can we me, sign this record? Yeah, yeah, just like ferrying me around in in big cars in London, big expensive no, dinners. Expensive, How cool is that, expensive, right? <laughs> uh, my, my wife uh, that, that I was married to at the time, she's like getting drive, driven around expensive restaurants. We try and, they're all trying to kind of like... Um, convince us that we should really sign the record and eventually just before Christmas we decided okay as soon as I signed the record the record is in that that week I think I signed the record on a Monday on a Wednesday the record is on the playlist straight wow, away wow. Like, Whoa. so super quick and then it became like the most played record for like 12 weeks like 3 so, or 4 months do you mind me asking like are you happy to share with the sort of numbers you did on Kismet as a vinyl before it got picked up by the major I mean no we were doing at the, we, we weren't releasing the record we were just selling desk pressing so you did the 3,000 TPs that... No, we did maybe 100 test pressings and we put it out in shops. And the shops were like selling them for like 50 pounds. Right. Because nobody could get hold of the f***ing record. So it was like... Tell me about people, it. And I, I had going, one yeah. and I was playing out and, and I, people I were like... going to Plastic Fantastic. Yeah. And I was like... I'm selling my record for like two quid and they're selling the record for like 50 pounds. Yeah. This is nuts. And I was like, okay... And um, that kind of like later on triggers into a different a different thing that I was doing with with, with the vinyl, which I'll tell you. But pressed like about forty thousand records, and we we're like getting ready to release. And then, and the label, the the Arista was like, "Yeah, we're gonna go against. We're gonna go for Christmas number one against Bob the Builder." And I was like, "All right, <laughs> okay, love it." And then. Everything gets to a, to a halt because Spandau Ballet starts the motion of, of oh, a court case. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. And we end up like, okay, so we need to destroy 30,000 vinyls. Oh, jeez. And yeah. there were 30,000 kismets that had the yeah, sample in. So they had, on one side, they got the sample. On the other side, they got an instrumental. And that record now is pretty rare because you can't get all of it because you got destroyed. It's a very limited amount of copies, a couple of test pressings. I think I've got a couple of boxes at home that I saved. So you're telling me I need to put my copy on Discogs then, right? Maybe. I mean, as people <laughs> start re realizing how, how rare that, that pressing wow, is, wow, wow. I think they, they will. But um, So then we end up, okay, we got a remix done by Pista Vision, put on the B-side, because yeah. I was like, this is getting 
too popular for my taste, and um, I need something to bring down to where my roots are. So I called Clive and Ryan and said, oh, do you want to do a remix? And he did a remix and I put it on the B-side. I was like, okay, now it's more balanced as a record yeah, that yeah, I like. Yeah, so yeah. I've got an underground mix on the other side. Yeah. And um, and that was the release. And, and, and Arista wasn't happy because they had to do the same problem. They had like, I don't know, maybe 50,000 CDs they had to destroy. And so we missed the deadline for going for Christmas number one, Christmas, for, for the Christmas number one. So they decided, okay, we're going to go for the first, first week of uh, January. It's like, oh, that sounds quite cool because we're going to be like, we've got the chance of being the number one on the first yeah. week of uh, of the 21st century. So mm. the very first... And classically, but, yeah. dance records tend to do really, really well on that yeah. first week of so, January. So, so we well. go against um, steps. Okay. And, and, wow. then, and then from there, things start going nuts. Now, I asked yeah. you earlier yeah. about the Top of the Pops thing, because the conversation has come up on a lot of the podcasts about people performing on Top of the Pops. Yeah, I didn't and, go. Uh, I, you didn't do no, it? No. I no. thought you were I on it, out, and you I didn't out, do no, it. I fell out with, because I was talking to, I can't remember his name now, was the um, head of, uh, of the label at the time, and he was like, uh, I, I had done this video, so I, I, the video I wanted to do was like a video that could represent what, what our culture was at the time. So it was like, we all were going out in East London and going to after parties in people's houses and getting really like twisted. So I was like, we need to do a video that kind of represents our culture and what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why you see a girl going up the stairs and it's a party and everybody's like going yeah. wild in some apartment, which is like... More or less, what happens now yeah, every yeah, single yeah, night yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in East London? Yeah, yeah. It's that's like the standard. But at the time, it was like kind of like new, new yeah, stuff. Yeah, something, something new. I had some effects to make it look like you kind of like getting, getting a bit twisted. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so so that was the video. I was really proud of it. And they wanted me to be on the video, so they invited me to come to the, to the to the set. And I was at the set. Oh, you're going to put you at the end when the sunset is coming. It's going to be you and your wife there. I said like. I'm not going to be any any video. Not interested in that crap. And and um, I love so that. I, I didn't I didn't go on a video. And then and then the record like goes to number one, and people are like, "Whoa!" So you need to be on top of the pops next week. I said, "No, not going there." And they're like, "No, you need to go. You don't understand. You have to go." And I said, "No, I'm not going. Just like put. You've got a video. Just put the video." And so when when the record when yeah when when they presented on top of the pops they they end up putting like a stand-in band and, they, and at the time I had blonde hair so they got they they scouted some dude to play keys with blonde hair. To I was going to say there's me. a guy who's like a yeah. kind of stand-in yeah. you right yeah and it was like because for me just in those days now it's we're different a different world everybody struggles so badly to make a living out of of music that to a certain extent we all kind of prostitute ourselves into as much as 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 we can physically tolerate to try to earn a living from making music yeah, because sure. it's to a certain extent we are constantly being shamed from wanting to earn money from from making music. Mm. You should be like um, ashamed of even considering that you should earn any money from music, which is, I find it quite, quite um, sad yeah, to I a certain agree. extent I because, agree. I mean, any person should be entitled to earn a living from what they do and mm. you shouldn't be shamed from saying, oh, you should, or you, or, yeah, you can make music, but then you're making the music to go and sell T-shirts. It's like, I don't sell T-shirts. I mm. sell music because so that's what I yeah. make. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. music. Yeah. I don't even go performing. Yeah. Performing is like a, actually a different art form from making records. But hopefully, I think with technology now is settling into a stage and that allows more and more, I mean, 
the the first stage of 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 what technology allowed was the dissemination of of the consumption of music. So music consumption is like increased tenfold with with the when with the advent of the internet, and now we are at the second stage where all those uh, places where music is consu- consumed is being monetized. I mean, I'm very optimistic that going forward for the next generations, they will be able to earn a living from making records without having to prostitute themselves endlessly on, on social media yeah. to try to, 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 to make ends meet and being able to make what they, they like to do, which is music. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. So fast forward, yeah. what was it, 18 years? So the record was actually the record that... Uh, 2000, right? No, 99 I did. 99. I, I did the record Sorry. in 99. 17 End years. of 99. Start promoting it in the summer of 2000. Because I prepared all the release, so I moved to, to the UK end of 98. Mm-hmm. Spent all of 99 making the tunes. And, uh, and I picked up a couple of remixes. In those days, there was a bit of... There was yeah, some, some good money, right? Since, yeah, since, you could, yeah, you could make like a grand or two grand per remix. Yeah. So you get Which that. is unheard of these days. Yeah, and, and, and I was like, okay, I can press... And you could press a record. So you, let's say I, I would do a schedule of, okay, I'm going to press a record a month. I do a record, an underground release, put it in the shops, might do five, 6,000 copies, which is a decent amount of yeah. number. No, it's in like 5,000, yeah. 6,000 so copies. You, you, so you'd spend maybe a grand on the remix. You'd spend maybe, I'd, I would say probably a three or four grand on pressing. Yeah. I don't you remember the numbers. I might be wrong. But you'd, you, you could kind of come up with a profit of maybe a grand or two if you did it right. Yeah. So it was, and that was not like necessarily a big record. It was just like a record because people needed to buy the record so if they wanted to play that's the only yeah, way you could play yeah, the music so yeah. you had to buy the, the bloody record so it was like an, a business that I could earn a living and make a record and next month I'll do another record and next month I'll do another record and that's how you'd kind of progress mm. and there, there was a, a lot of people just doing that and then of course with, with the technology kind of like disrupted that because people could just like rip the record put it on the internet and you'd sell two copies and people downloaded 5,000 times yeah yeah so, looking back at, at the record 17, 18 years, how does it feel looking back and listening to it now? Are you happy with, does it still sit nicely with you? Or you do you think, well, I could have yeah, I mean, changed uh, yeah. this? And no, 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 no. There's nothing I could change on the record. I, this, uh, the most I'll listen to it and I'll see mistakes and I'll see things that might, I feel embarrassed really? about. Really? Mistakes? You seriously? Yeah, I'm sure there is. I mean, if I look... If I pay attention to it, I will find mistakes inside the record. Like, for example, the vocal volume changes over across the track. There's, I think on a radio edit, there's an edit that is not really done properly. God, I love this. I love it. Little, little, little things. But, um, and then the volume of some sounds are drastically like out of place. But that becomes kind of almost like the f- a feature of the track. It's, it's it the becomes, imperfections yeah, yeah. that make it as perfect yeah, as it is, right? Yes, of course. So, so, but no, but a few years after the, the record was released, I was kind of like tired of listening to it. I'll so bet, like, I'll bet. I don't heard know, it a million like times. Everywhere I yeah. go, I mean, I remember very clearly being in, in Miami for one of the Winter Music Conference and walking in Ocean Drive, some bar, and the song they're using is like touch me and I would my mate and I'm looking at him and like this is it I had enough of this like, <laughs> This is it's like, gone too far I, mean, I, I did like an underground record with a cool vocal so people could go back home and know what yeah. the record was next minute it's like I'm in Miami and we walked into this place to have a drink and there's like a cheesy party going on and they're playing my record it's like I had enough of it Yeah. and I kind of walked away and 
and then I kind of like forgot about the record for a bit and then kind of start accepting as part of my um, uh, body of work and my legacy. So yeah, I just um, start collecting people's edits and cover versions and bootleg remixes and people reach out to, with, with edits they did and the instrumentals and, and I collect them and I've start incorporating them in my in my sets and start using the parts of the record also in my sets. So, that so was now my, it's kind of part of, of who I am, really. So that was my next question. Like, you turn up, at, you know, you're booked to do yeah. a gig and, and you turn up and the pro promoter says, you know, play Touch Me. Yeah. That, in, in the old days, cool. I'd be like, okay, I need to play the record. No, now I kind of like, okay, you want me to play Touch Me? So I'm going to give you Touch Me all night long. And I'll probably play a, a version with a bit of a vocal and then I play another version that's got just yeah. sound. Or a record that I've heard that I know it's absolutely kind of like influenced by Touch Me because of the way that they, someone put yeah, the record yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. I'll play yeah, that yeah, and then yeah. I'll play mixed with a bit of Touch Me then comes out then a bit of one sound here or sound there. And people get quite happy. I mean, it's always ends up always being different. So if people want to find you on the internet, how do uh, they go Well, the you? place I like people to go is to Spotify and listen to my music. Yeah. It's mo mostly where they should really go to. Yeah. Or if they prefer another streaming service, just go there and find me. So, Ruda Silva, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure. Thank you thank for you. letting me into your studio. Yes, thanks for Thanks for having this me. amazing chat and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so thank much. You. Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridley. Huge thanks to this week's guest and of course to you for tuning in. If you've missed any of the previous shows, they are available on Spotify or Apple or the usual providers. Just search out Ridney or Secrets of a Dance Hit. They should all pop up. And of course, don't forget if you're feeling generous, uh, drop a donation into the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ridney and hopefully we can get some more artists on the show. And a big up of course to Carl Hannigan for all his amazing efforts on the show. Thank you so and we will do it again soon. Till then, see ya.